Hello out there. I'm Harris Shilakovsky. I'm a musician. I hear things. We're taught as musicians that music is organized sound. Now, although I'm not a scientist, I'm a big fan of science and of great scientists. So when I look at the universe, I'm seeking an underlying order of the cosmological things as others have done before me. I attempt to organize the dreams and theories and discoveries of stargazers and dreamers, astrophysicists, astronomers, astrobiologists, and other scientists, which they have magnanimously shared with us. And then I create pieces of music that are inspired by those cosmological things. The Opus Magnanimous podcast includes rough drafts of music inspired by cosmologically exciting discoveries from our present time, such as the exciting new pictures we see from the super telescopes that enable us to travel back through time almost to the beginning of the universe. The musical pieces will also go back through human history to compare the experiences, experiments, and inventions of scientifically-minded people throughout history. Scientists also experience life and culture, art and music, so I hope we will see what they saw and hear what they heard. In each bi-weekly episode, you hear new music inspired by the latest discoveries and innovations in cosmology and astrology. Many of these pieces of music will be included in the final version of Opus Magnanimous. By listening to the episodes of the Opus Magnanimous podcasts, you are seeing, hearing, and experiencing firsthand the creation of a grand musical composition. The music playing at the beginning of today's episode is the piece I wrote to represent the constellation Aquarius. I'm going to continue introducing the music representing the constellations of the Zodiac in the forthcoming episodes of Opus Magnanimus. And since the constellations in the Zodiac are more visible in certain months, I'm introducing certain constellations in the month when you can actually look it up and see it. You'll see the link to the guide to monthly constellations below this podcast. The Aquarius constellation is located in the southern hemisphere, and it's one of the 12 zodiac constellations. This constellation's name, Aquarius, means the water bearer or the cup bearer in Latin, and it, uh, we assume it's water that's in the cup. <laughs> Aquarius lies in the region of the sky, which is sometimes referred to as the sea, because it contains a number of other constellations with names that are associated with water, like Pisces, the fish, Eridanus, the river, Satis, which is the whale, and Ptolemy, the Greek astronomer, which we've talked about in an earlier episode, um, was the one who cataloged these zodiac constellations.
I will list below the stars that are contained in the constellation Aquarius and some other interesting information about Aquarius. So here's a little bit of the mythology of the constellation Aquarius, uh, which, by the way, is the 11th zodiacal sign. And this... Um, To the Babylonians, this constellation um, was represented by an overflowing urn, you know, a vessel that would hold water. They associated this image with the heavy rains because there's water pouring out of this thing that fell in the 11th month of their calendar. The Egyptians looked at this same constellation. They thought they could see Hapi, their god of the Nile River. Again, water. Greek legend, however, tells of a mythical person, uh, a handsome young prince from Troy named Ganymede. Um, who, now, one day Zeus, uh, the mighty Zeus saw this Ganymede and decided that he would make a perfect cup bearer. Um, in one version of the story, Zeus sent his pet eagle, Aquila, to carry Ganymede to Olympus. And in another version of it, Zeus himself, disguised as an eagle, swept up the boy and carried him to the pantheon of the gods. But in either case, Ganymede arrived in the home of the gods and had to deal with Hera, who was Zeus's wife, who was annoyed uh, that uh, Zeus would bring home this boy, <clears throat> and uh, especially because she was jealous on behalf of her own daughter, Hebe, the goddess of youth. But anyway, it, Zeus wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't intimidated by this problem with his wife. And so he kept this boy, Ganymede, and he was uh, depicted as riding on Zeus's eagle, Aquila, and carrying this golden cup and keeping a Zeus uh, company as he traveled around. And Ganymede was, was known to be very kind. Um, and so the people on Earth uh, felt that he was kind because he provided them with water. Now, uh, Zeus supposedly gave Ganymede permission to, to send rain down to the people. So he became like the god of rain. And um, so, you know, this, this is like a really important idea because the area where so many of these stories originated, the Tigris and Euphrates River, 
uh, was, you know, a very, very uh, rich, uh, productive area of the world. Uh, I mean, it's basically a subtropical climate, um, you know, so it's like really comfortable, but it also has this water source, which is super important to, you know, agrarian civilizations. So, uh, so that's why this, this guy Ganymede uh, was considered a really important uh, god to these people. Uh, the, since the god represents all these fine characteristics of generosity and everything, the, uh, the people who associate zodiacal signs with human characteristics uh, say that an Aquarian, a person born under this sign would be very humanitarian, very social, very confident, very intellectually gifted, maybe a little detached and independent, very loyal person, uh, a leader, very spontaneous and unique and perhaps unpredictable or rebellious, but open-minded. So, you know, Aquarians are, you know, really looked up to in the world of astrology, which I must remind you once again, as you know, this is not science, but it shows where people's thinking uh, goes uh, about, you know, what develops um, in people's thinking. So um, the uh, constellation has uh, 11 named stars. Uh, these stars are approved by the International Astronomical Union, and the stars are called Albali, Ancha, Bosona, Bunda, Lion Rock, Marohu, Sadachbia, Sadal Melek, Sadal Sud, Situlu, and Skat. And then there were also a considerable number of stars. There are a lot of stars that don't have, you know, these given names. They just have a numbering system. Uh, and you can read about all these things. I'll, I'll list all that nice information for you. Um, many of the stars that are in this constellation, uh, it's notable to note <laughs> that there are a lot of exoplanets that have been identified already. Uh, in the systems of the uh, stars that are in Aquarius. So, um, all right. In today's episode, gravitational waves will move us and inspire some heavy music as we're going to look at the work of LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. According to the folks at LIGO, over at Caltech, gravitational waves are ripples in space-time. And they are caused by 
incredibly powerful, violent, uh, and as they say, energetic processes in the universe. Um, Albert Einstein predicted that gravitational waves uh, existed back in 1916 when he developed his general theory of relativity. His equations, his math, showed that things that accelerate, gigantic massive things that accelerate incredibly fast, uh, like neutron stars or black holes that are orbiting each other. In other words, these are what, what we would call binary systems, uh, two gigantic objects that chase each other around, uh, that they would go so fast and have so much mass moving around that they would disrupt space-time such that the waves of undulating space-time would, would just like come, you know, flying off uh, these objects, these systems, uh, you know, moving away, uh, and that um, they would travel incredibly fast because these objects are traveling very fast. The waves of gravity, uh, gravitational waves, they call them, would travel at the speed of light. Now, you know, but 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 we think that nothing can travel at the speed of light except light itself. Well. His idea was there is one other thing that could travel that fast, and that would be these gravitational waves. And the incredible thing is that they would, by, by you know, sort of emanating from this incredible cataclysmic things that are happening, uh, because, by the way, as these two objects circle around each other, eventually they're going to drag each other together because of their gravity, and they're going to collide and explode eventually. Uh, but in any case, these cosmic ripples that are going to come out from these objects, from these binary systems, would carry along because it, it, they're vibrating at the, you know, at the, and reflecting what's going on in these systems, that is basically information that's being sent out. And if we could detect this gravitational waves and the undulations of those waves, we could actually tell information about the objects and systems and what's going on back there, you know, light years before, because of course we're, these things are traveling at light speed, so we're gonna see them, you know, much sooner than we could detect, you know, with a telescope or whatever. So, and we might even learn something about gravity itself from all this stuff. So, these colliding black holes um, and and supernova. Uh, these supernova is is a massive star that explodes at the end of its life. Um, 
like I said, these are cataclysmic things that are happening. Or neutron stars colliding with each other. Again, two neutron stars circling around each other and getting closer and closer and faster and faster until they finally collide. So, um, and also there are other possible sources. Um, and even the gravitational waves created by the Big Bang, you know, by the origin of our universe itself might be detected. So that's why we're super interested in detecting gravitational waves. And that's why scientists have raised millions and millions and millions of dollars to build these gigantic detection systems, uh, which we know as, as LIGO. I strongly encourage you to read some of the incredible uh, descriptions, uh, which are not too hard to understand, um, you know, published by LIGO. Uh, again, I will put the links to this information uh, uh, you know, below the podcast, as usual. Um, now, it's, it's been very, 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 very difficult. These are very ticklish things to detect. Uh, so it's got to have incredibly sophisticated technological devices to do this, to detect these undulations in space-time generated by these gravitational waves. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the other way around, <laughs> to detect the gravitational waves that basically are reflecting the undulation in space-time. But in any case, um, in 2015, they did in fact detect the collision of two black holes. Two black holes colliding with each other and doing whatever you would do if you were two black holes that collided with each other. Um, one and a third billion light years away from us. So, I mean, this is incredible that we can detect things this far away, for one thing. Um, so they consider this one of humanity's greatest scientific achievements, indeed. Um, so, but, the, but, you know, th these waves get much smaller as they travel farther and farther, so they become incredibly difficult to detect. So the fact that they've been able to is a major accomplishment. So, there, like we said, there are two, two of the main things that they're trying to detect are a binary neutron stars um, and uh, also binary black holes. Like we said, two black holes basically orbiting around each other that eventually collide and a binary neutron star, which really is two neutron stars 
going around each other. I've written some music inspired by the neutron star. Again, what's a neutron star? It, you have a massive star, first of all. Some of the largest stars in the universe. And then you have a supernova explosion of that star. Now, that explosion is combined with gravitational collapse. So, after it, as, as it's exploding, it, it, even, and after, just after it explodes, the gravity starts pulling all the stuff that flew off of the exploding star, pulling it back into a central area. And it pulls it back and the gravity gets stronger and stronger and compresses the core of the star past white dwarf star density to that of atomic nuclei. So it's getting smaller and denser. Uh, and that becomes a neutron star. Once it's formed, it doesn't generate heat anymore. It starts cooling off eventually. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a dying star. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it's this really incredibly dense thing. And similar to what happens with black holes, because they also are the result of, uh, you know, a star that destroys itself and becomes this incredibly dense, tiny little area uh, that sucks everything in. It becomes the black hole. But anyway, that's an idea of what the neutron star is. So if you listen at the beginning of the music, I tried to represent the sensation of a giant massive star. After it cycles and turns and shows itself for a period of time, you hear an explosion. Uh, and that represents the explosion of the massive star, the supernova that we talked about. And then it starts drawing in on itself uh, with the gravitation that pulls it in towards itself.
And then there's the binary black hole. Two black holes orbiting ferociously around each other, closer and closer and faster and faster until they eat each other up. Perhaps we'll talk a little bit about how what you're hearing represents the binary black hole, the two black holes circling around each other, and how I came up with the, the particular type of sounds that I've represented here. Because 
it might not sound like what you thought a black hole would sound like. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I hope you got a kick out of it. Next time, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the science behind this, these phenomenon and what goes on with LIGO. And we'll also go back and revisit some of our astronomical history. We'll look again at what went on in the Islamic world, in the medieval period of the Islamic world, 701 to 800 in the Common Era, and the Abbasid period, 750 to 1258, uh, and a little bit touching. I think we talked a little bit about post-Siddhantic astronomy in the Zij era, um, and uh, we'll also touch a little bit on 17, excuse me, 1177 after the Common Era, the Seljuk Empire of Farid al-Din Attar, and what he said about the cosmos. Sorry this episode was a little late. I was on vacation. And um, I'm hoping that you will excuse the brevity of this episode. But uh, we'll get back to our usual ridiculously long episodes in a little less than two weeks. And... Uh, Again, we'll visit the next constellation in the zodiac. And in the meantime, please, please consider, of course, give us a like, uh, follow our podcast. And uh, if you like it, or if you'd like to see more, it would really help if you could even support us. So you'll see the link that it, uh, take you to the support page for this uh, podcast. Thanks very much for being supportive and for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. See you again in the sky, I suppose, light years away. Oh, and here's the original black hole, just one, not a binary, a single black hole.